FM. Online at k107.co.uk and on air at 107FM. This is K107 News. The Chancellor's expected to announce more help for struggling businesses in parts of England under Tier 2 coronavirus measures. Rishi Sunak's plan will support firms like pubs and restaurants, which have seen trades suffer. Currently, they can't access the financial support offered to areas under a stricter lockdown. Policing Minister Kit Malthouse says these new proposals will help local economies. Well, it's tough everywhere, right? I mean, everybody's having quite a hard time at the moment, and we recognise the burden that's placing on all sorts of areas, and that That's why the government is doing its best to try and support as many businesses and individuals as we possibly can. Marcus Rashford says many children will have gone to bed feeling like they don't matter last night. It's after MPs voted against extending free school meals over the holidays. Barack Obama's attacked Donald Trump's record on fighting coronavirus, saying his successor couldn't even protect himself. But the president's hit back, promising a Trump super recovery for the economy. Meanwhile, Donald Trump's lawyers denied doing anything inappropriate in a video which features in the new Borat movie. Rudy Giuliani says he had his hands down his trousers, tucking his shirt in. Manchester City began their Champions League campaign with a 3-1 victory at home to Porto, but Brazilian midfielder Fernandinho is expected to be out for up to six weeks. Pep Guardiola believes the Premier League reverting to three substitutes this season is contributing to more players getting hurt. UEFA did take an incredible wise decision to allow five substitutions, not like another competitions, but you know the people don't get injured like thousands of players today right now in all leagues and all games. Elsewhere, Liverpool beat Ajax 1-0. And Ed Sheeran's donated handwritten lyrics and a personal collection of Lego bricks to be sold at an online charity auction. David Beckham and Usain Bolt have also donated items for the event. That's the latest. I'm Kat Suave. K107 News. Online at k107.co.uk. A107 FM sounds like this. Hello everyone, this is Paul Gambaccini on the John Murray Show. If you 
Katie Mellowa, and that's the first track on her brand new album, which is called Album Number Eight. I wonder how many she's done before that. Okay, yeah, we get it. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome along. John Murray with you for the next two hours, and nice music from Katie Mellowa. Nice kind of laid-back start to the show, I would say, anyway. And there's a video for that one, which is equally nice as well. And from the brand new album. It's the first track. And I expect if she does singles, that will be a single, as you do. You put a single out or a plug track, and that's the way it goes. We'll be looking at more plug tracks and some amazing music in the programme today and some great news for you as well. We'll be looking at the brand new iPhone. How about that? Yeah, we're, if anything, cut to the edge, right bang on with the trends here at K107 FM, don't you know? Uh, and John Murray with you, of course, and we always try to keep up to date with new music and the best in new releases. And we'll be looking at a new release in the second hour of the programme, hopefully speaking to Ian Harrower and Jim Russell and looking at the Lost Cafe Sessions, which is a brand new album. It was recorded back in 1991 and was a... Lost kind of box of records and tapes of the bands of the day, the Fife bands of the day, if you like. And it's just been discovered, it's been remastered, it's now out as an album, and you could put a donation to a nice wee charity in North East Fife called Siblings Reunited, and you can get the whole album. Or you could listen to it, check it out on Spotify, and you'll find some bands that you used to know. Bands like Some Device and Blue On Shock and Roy G. Bev. Remember them when they were touring the circuit? Yeah, well, we've got some fresh music from them, unheard and newly released. We'll look at that in the second hour of the programme. Got some new music as well. This is Ryan Hamilton, Ryan Hamilton Music, from his band 
Ryan Hamilton and the Harlequin Ghosts. And you never know when new albums, some great titles in there as well. Uh, but we'll look at the first track. The album's called Nowhere to Go But Everywhere and just part of everybody's kind of lockdown albums. Uh, check this out. This is called Only a Dream, only here on K107 FM.
it was Ryan Hamilton from his brand new album released in October and that's only a dream and there's other tracks intriguingly in there called Southern Accents Newcastle Charm and Jesus and John Lennon okay I don't know what that would be like but I'll maybe have a listen on the prevade see what that is all about anyhow been listening also this week to my good friend Willie Logan, William Logan Esquire from Oakley in Fife, has released an album called 2020. So if you're friends with Willie on Facebook, do check out, I think there's a music page as well as his personal page. You'll hear great tracks. I mean, he produces these in his lockdown studio in Oakley and uh, it's all about this pandemic and things that's been happening this year. Quite a plight for musicians, as you would imagine, if there's no income and still that creative buzz and nobody to play with or play to, it's just not good. So here's Willie and this is I'm Not Playing Today.
as it fades into the background. Willie Logan, and I'm not playing today, some great retro guitar in there, and you could hear his wee influences of David Bowie in there as well. Good stuff, and a good album, check it out. Look at uh, the Facebook page for William Logan, uh, 2020 is the album. And, uh, well, we're going to be examining... Um, a wee interview right after this. Don't go anywhere. How would you rate your business's digital strategy? Have you even given it a second thought? In today's world, a digital strategy is paramount for any business. But knowing how to implement it can sometimes seem challenging. Thankfully, Alba Digital Solutions can help. We'll cut through the jargon with a range of solutions to help your business maximize its online presence to find out more and for a no-obligation review, visit us today at albadigitalsolutions.scot. Oh, hiya. Can you meet me in the Elbow Room in Kirkcaldy? You know Roslyn Street next to Five Ice Arena? The restaurant is open all day, every day from midday. There's high teas too, and I see they have a pensioner's menu, which is very popular. You would love it. Four TVs showing all the sport, a cosy snug bar, and room for 70 in the restaurant. Hey, our family can stay here too when they visit, as they have six bedrooms, B&B. Right, it's settled. Meet me in the Elbow Room, Roslyn Street. Book your table, call Kirkcaldy, 654-826. When it comes to selling your home, no one knows the local market better than Fife Properties. Here's what Colin Davidson said about selling in London Links. Fife Properties, I found, offered five-star service. This company continues to surpass expectations. The standard of service... Attention to detail and passion for the customer I found was exceptional. Don't go anywhere else to buy or sell a house. Five Properties. Helping you manage life as it happens. Whether you're searching for contemporary or unique, for fine jewellery and gift ideas, step into Eloise Jewellery on the High Street, Kirkcaldy, for a surprising selection of sparkles. Gold, silver, jewels, designer brands, watches and handbags. Plus the in-house Eloise workshop for repairs. And to create your personal, individual and bespoke designs. For details, click on eloiseoriginal.co.uk or find Eloise Jewellery on Facebook. Hi, this is Keith Poole. Join me on Thursdays at 6pm for Keith's Country. Only here... On K107 FM. Keep it country with Keith's Country Show. From the Beverage Park to the Borland. This is K107 FM. And John Murray with you for the best part of two hours. And just looking at some engineering students from universities across the country are about to battle it out in a Dragon's Den style competition to be crowned champion of champions. Now they're taking part in the Engineers in Business competition which aims to reward engineers who develop groundbreaking ideas that could solve real problems in society. Now, it's been run by the Engineers in Business Fellowship. They're a registered charity that promotes the importance and value of business education for engineers in order to improve people's lives and the performance of the UK and global economies. Well, we sent Julian Fisher along for more on this story. So how does this competition work? Well, we currently sponsor business competitions for engineering students at over 30 UK universities. Then each year we host a Champion of Champions Grand Final, where entrants use a combination of engineering and business skills to find ways to solve a really big societal problem. 
the entrants submit a poster and a two-minute video outlining their idea. The 10 finalists then pitch their ideas and a panel of judges awards over £10,000 in prizes. We have two categories of entry. Big Ideas is for younger students who wish to express their potential to tackle a really big problem by combining business and technology, whilst Startups is for those who actually wish to start a new company. That sounds great. And what have been some of the great ideas that are battling out for this year's prize? We've had some really great ideas this year. We're all concerned about plastics in our oceans, and we have an entry from Exeter University that seeks to stop the microplastic that's found in 80% of our drinking water. A team from Imperial College has developed a new type of minimally invasive surgery for epilepsy, and a team from Anglia Ruskin are seeking to double the life of the rechargeable batteries that we all use in our devices. Another initiative from Exeter University is teaching communities in Zanzibar to set up their own bio-charcoal businesses. So we've got some really great ideas. And what is the ultimate goal of engineers in business? What do you hope to see? It's widely recognised that success with technology is crucial to the future of the UK and our position in the global economy. And engineering has a key role in this. However, at universities, the already busy engineering curricula tend to have a lack of business content. Therefore, we hope that by encouraging business competitions for engineering students, we can help raise the awareness of the importance of business skills and encourage more engineers to take business education seriously. Ultimately, this should improve the competitiveness of the UK economy. It's also widely reported that employers value engineers with a broader perspective and softer people skills. And these are often also um, developed through business competition. Now, if people want to get involved with the Engineers and Business Fellowship, uh, how do they go about that? Details are on our website. So just Google Engineers and Business to find us. Engineering students can check to see if their university is currently included. And if not, they can ask their university to apply for a £3,000 business competition prize. Well, that was David Falzani, President of the Engineers in Business Fellowship, talking about a Dragon's Den-style competition for university student engineers. All good. Or well, here on K107 FM.
Judgment Now, uh, hot in there, of course, uh, only here on K107 FM. And before that one, we've been hearing all about the uh, engineering uh, courses. Sounds really good. Talk about new singles. How about this one? He'll be a guest on the programme next week, all the way from Texas. This is, of course, Sam Austin.
Sam Austin, and there's a girl out there. Uh, hopefully you're getting that in stereo, because I think there's something wrong with one of the channels on that track. For some reason, that's all our fault. It's not your radio. Just thought I would say that. Um, coming up soon, we'll be looking at the new Apple launch, and still to come, the Lost Cafe Sessions with some amazing bands. Now, I don't know if you remember a lot of the bands that played uh, around the Fife area, but uh, I'll tell you this, there's some talent there uh, back in the day, and, you know, so many of them um, have gone on to other things, and, and, you know, some of the artists, we'll we'll find out, because I'll be speaking to uh, Ian Harrower and Jim Russell. Uh, They themselves have been around more than 30 years, of course, and they'll be telling us, uh, hopefully, all about this brand new album, uh, which has just been released, and um, to see some of the bands that's on there. Now, I'll I'll mention some, and if you remember, ever seen some of these in some of the places like the Hunting Lodge, or the Clubhouse in Kirkcaldy, or, uh, you know, some of the places, even the Ship in Newborough, uh, Tom's New Shoes, uh, Roy G. Bev, remember them, goodness gracious. Uh, all the colours of the rainbow in that band, I'll tell you. Seeing Red, Some Device, heavens, I supported them so many times. Silent Falls, uh, of course. Blue on Shock, I mentioned. And of course, The Real McCoy, some great bands. We'll be uh, hopefully getting as many of them in uh, as soon as I get these guys on the line, uh, Ian and Jim. And uh, you could enjoy and listen in and uh, hear the stories and better still hear all the music. There's always some great music around. And uh, a band uh, called My Darling Clementine. Now, if you're a certain age, you'll already be singing about Huckleberry Hound. But the band, My Darling Clementine, uh, have been recording some of the country songs of Elvis Costello, and it's now out on one album. Check this. Nothing will ever be the same All the promises we made They seem hollow But there are still streets in this town Marked with your shadow So if you see me Look surprised And if you don't Then pass me by And I might But most of it is wrong What do we know of anything To lose some renown Either side Either side Of the same town 
it's a fight I know I know that I must remain Do we know of anything to fools of summer down? Either side, either side of the same town. Either side, either side of the same town. side of the same old town. Feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? Amazing. I wonder if we'll get any more lockdowns. I don't know. I'll tell you, it's such a, a bind because being in here in our wee studio uh, in central Kirkcaldy, um, we've got to wipe everything down, door handles and we bring our own headphones, our own cups and all this kind of stuff as a precaution. And I suppose it's, it's, it makes sense, you know, and it's just such a bind and uh, one of these things we have to do. Uh, no prospect of holidays yet and all this stuff. Just lock down, lock in, can't even see our mighty race rovers uh, and yet they had a great win at the weekend beating Arbroath. I wish I'd seen that. Oh, after all the pain we've had from Arbroath over the years and them going up into the championship before the team, the race team, then actually getting revenge would be good. Uh, but things to note that coming up on Saturday between 1 and 3, um, Graham Colgar will be here, and he's been getting some great interviews. So if you want to find out really from an insider's point of view what's going on, do tune in. Uh, it's, it's your respite as we can't get to a Wraith game, one o'clock on a Saturday, tune into your favourite radio, K107 FM, and you will hear uh, all the insiders and all the gossip and all the news from Wraith Rovers and other sports as it comes, because, you know, it's live and up to the minute. Uh, but Graham Cougar will be here uh, in this chair, probably, this very chair, once I've wiped it all down. I was looking also at news about the new iPhone. Now, I tend to keep getting these as, the, as much as we can afford. You know, I don't have a an 11 Pro or anything like this with three cameras and 3D and all that kind of stuff. But uh, it's so easy to get swamped up with each Apple launch. Now, whenever Apple launch a new phone, it always creates excitement for the millions of fans of this iconic device. But the latest one just released is the iPhone 12. Yes, we're up to 12. Now that's had some extra excitement because it will be the first 5G phone. Now, 
while 5G has been live in the UK for a little over a year now, what does rollout of ultra-fast 5G services actually mean for the average customer? How is it different and from what most people are using today and, and, and what new services and types of entertainment will it underpin? Well, we just had to find out. So we sent Julian Fisher along and uh, he'll tell us more. Well, to shed some light on this and what 5G means for the UK, I'm joined now by Susie Perry, former presenter of The Gadget Show. Susie, hello there. Why has the iPhone only got 5G now when you've been able to get a 5G Android phone already for a while? Uh, they've been working on the hardware and the software experience to make it the greatest experience for consumers. So you're right in saying that this is the first iPhone with 5G connectivity, but what it means now for the consumer is a much better speed and a much better connectivity. And those are the two key points, I think, that we're going to experience on a daily basis with the new iPhone. So tell us about 5G itself. Is it actually going to transform the mobile experience for smartphone users? Or was it just a faster internet, Susie? Well, we've been hearing about 5G for quite a long time, haven't we? And EE rolled out their network just over a year ago and have been working on the speed ever since. I think it will be transformative on a consumer level because the speed and the connectivity are going to be the game changer here. Suddenly, from being in crowded areas like sports arenas, music halls, events, where you couldn't get online before, you will be able to. And also for gamers, you know, you're going to have this console quality gaming now on your phone. The connectivity is going to allow augmented reality and virtual reality. So I think this is going to really change our, our lives with our phones on a daily basis. So everything sounds faster, Susie. Tell us about the new iPhone 12, though, because I'm sure there are millions of iPhone fans keen to find out more about this new phone. Apple have just rolled out their iPhone 12. So the iPhone 12, the 12 Max, 12 Mini and the 12 Pro. As you would expect, they're thinner, smaller and lighter than iPhone 11. And they've got their OLED display, so twice the amount of pixels, so clearer images. But biggest of all is this 5G experience. So they've been working on the hardware and the software to give the user the best experience got this console quality gaming esports coming to your phone faster downloads it'll be more responsive and smooth the camera is is a lot better if you didn't think it was good enough before i shot a, a movie on my phone this is much better in low light the smart technology helps night mode it captures more light and you've got this ultra wide lens but the biggest news of course is that it connects to 5g Okay, so Susie, how do we get our hands on it and, and where do we find out more? Apple are rolling the first two models out on the 16th of October and the second two on the 23rd. Obviously, everything is online. So, yeah, if you want to connect with EE and Apple, then those are your dates. Thank you very much. That was, of course, Susie Perry, former presenter of The Gadget Show, giving us a lowdown on the new 5G iPhone 12 as it's launched. Here's Carly Ray Jepsen now on K107.
love a dick. Uh, check please. <laughs> Let's be friends. Carly Leary Jepson Oh I remember her call me maybe All those years ago uh, Fabulous stuff, that's a new one uh, Let's be friends We love it Okay then, uh, Ian Harwar, Jim Russell Let's find out all about these Lost Cafe sessions shall we Let's get that sorted Yeah. Right then, uh, but first of all uh, A quick break You just caught me. I'm nipping along to Burnt Island Butchers. Come with me. It's a family-run, local, multi-award-winning butcher. I go for the quality of fresh produce and the great customer service. There are also daily deals, and it's open Monday to Saturday from 8 to 4.45 at 213 High Street, Burnt Island. Let's go in. Tom, what's on offer today? We have some great bulk-buy deals on our less than 5% fat steak mince, diced stew and steak and chicken breast fillets, saving you an absolute fortune on the counter price. Tom Quartz, Burnt Island Butchers. Find them on Facebook for more information. For the best and fresh local artisan produce, visit Kirkcaldy's bustling and vibrant street market every Friday. You'll find cakes, crepes, cheeses, donuts, fresh fruit and veg, a fishmonger, freshly roasted coffee, jams, pickles and home bakes, alongside locally harvested honey and many varieties of homemade bread, all from local traders and all in one place at the same time. Artisan Fridays, every Friday on Kirkcaldy High Street from 9 until 5 p.m. Follow us on social media. Comment, like, share. Uh, smiley face emoji? This is K107FM. Hello, everyone. This is Paul Gambaccini on The John Murray Show. So let's have a listen to some of these lost cafe sessions. Got some great bands coming up. And first off, The Real McCoy. Doctor, won't you mend my broken heart? I'm 2,000 miles from home and it's tearing me apart. My photographs are fading, my memory's growing weak. I pray each and every night I go home when I'm asleep. Oh, 
there we have it, The Real McCoy. You'll find that on a brand new album called The Lost Cafe Sessions. Delighted to welcome in the studio Ian Harrower and Jim Russell. Hi, guys. Hi, Jim. Hi, Hi John. Nice, nice to see you. Great, great stuff. Um, Real McCoy, does that bring back memories, first of all, when, when you look back in those years and those days of live shows? Yeah, they were, they were um, yeah, a really fantastic band from, from Glasgow. Uh, incidentally, the, the Real McCoy is quite unique on the album because, and I'll let Ian expand on this, but they're one of the few that we haven't really managed to kind of track down completely. Um, they've kind of disappeared into the into the mist, but we, it's a real standout. I think the you know the, it's a great track that um, that one. So I remember they were a, re a really good looking bunch of guys as well. So they had everything. Um, they you know the songs were strong. They were very gifted uh, technically, uh, technical musically, um, but they looked great. And I think at one point they were very close to getting a support gig. In Glasgow were NXS, um, and they had management and everything else like that. And then, of course, <laughs> lo and behold, by about ten minutes after we'd recorded the sessions back in 1991, um, they, we got the news that they'd they'd all fallen out and split up. You know, so, how uh, there you go. The music business many many times. Uh, I mean, it must have been for for this brand new album, which is released in the coming weeks. Um, there must have been a lot of good stories and stories that you found that some of the members are just no longer there. Sure, absolutely. And when we say brand new album, John, we should say that it's a brand new album that was recorded 30 years ago in 1991. And for, for uh, many reasons, it was never released back in then, that time. Um, and the story is that we had a set of master tapes and the various house moves and very uh, complexity of life over the years, they got lost, you know. So, so we we're, we just kind of they were misplaced, and and we kind of uh, forgot all about them. And just before Christmas last year, Jim and I were getting together for our, our, our Christmas get together, perhaps with a sherry, and then we started talking. Whatever happened to? those master tapes, wouldn't it be great if we could track them down? And uh, then, of course, we move into 2020, into lockdown, and uh, it, everyone was at home. So there was, so one of the benefits of that was it was a great time to track people down. So we ended up getting in touch with Dave Gray, who owned the studio, the Sound Cafe in Pennacook near Edinburgh. And lo and behold, Dave, wonderful, uh, managed to find a copy at the back of a cupboard in a cardboard box. And um, the game was back on again. So we kind of suddenly thought this would be fabulous to see if we could resurrect it. And then we did this networking, uh, social uh, social networking and digital sleuthing to track down all the people and get their permission. So um, on, uh, on Thursday, 22nd of October, 30 years late, it'll finally be released to the world. Um, but but answer your question, Jim will tell you that not all the, there was over 45 musicians involved in the initial sessions and not all of them have made it with us. So Jim um, will tell us a bit more about that. I'm sure that, you know, that was part of the motivation when we found out that it would be a bit of a tribute for these folks. 
Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, we need to go back and say when when round about the time that Ian and I were working with these bands, um, we were both young men. Ian's a bit older than I am, but I, I was probably twenty years old, and it became. We had a company called Smithfield Entertainments. We put on live events and did some tour management and showcases and things like this. But it really, for me especially, became not just my career, but became my entire social life. And we ended up going on, getting very close and friendly with a lot of these bands. And um, one in particular, Seeing Red from, from Edinburgh, um, they had a tour, which I think was sponsored by Tenants Live, actually. Um, right the way across uh, the north of Scotland. And we we were basically their roadies and sound guys. Um, and they're an incredibly talented kind of rock band. And uh, their lead singer was, again, very, very charismatic and incredibly talented. Uh, her name was um, Angie Corbett, when as we knew her, but late, later Townsend. Was, uh, tragically, she uh, developed, you know, terminal cancer and passed away uh, just, uh, I think, about two or three years ago. Um, and they say, I mean, uh, in her early 50s, I think she was 50, 50 or 51 or something. So that was my one of my personal motivations because she was a really close friend. I mean, not just within the, the music scene, but we also used to meet up for coffee and then she moved to Edinburgh. We went out for lunch and all that kind of stuff. And it was just tragic because, of course, by that time, you know, we'd kind of drifted apart a little bit. And I thought I, I really wanted to push forward with this just as a little tribute to her. And maybe her family and children may listen as well. And it's another memory of their very talented mother who's no longer, unfortunately, with us. So her band was Seeing Red? That's Seeing Red, correct. Yeah, they were. And did they, um, were they big in their day? I mean, did they, did they get any tours or were they local or did they, again, did they break up? I mean, what was their story back in the 90s when well, they were hot? Yeah, C and Red were uh, probably out of all the bands we worked with, certainly the, the hardest working, um, but probably the closest to making it in, in air quotes. Um, one of my projects with them, we drove down to uh, somewhere just outside London to a really fancy recording studio to, to put together their first album. I think it was owned by Jimmy Page or something, really high end at that point. Um, so they had a really professional album. They appeared live on the James Whale show, if you remember that, many, many years ago. Um, and yeah, I think they were kind of on the cusp of it and um, certainly well-deserved, but I don't think they ever got their, their, their kind of final break. And Ian, you maybe expand a little bit on, you know. Yeah, <clears throat> I, think that, I think that's right. They, they were probably, they were technically really gifted. And as Jim mentioned, they were hardworking, but... Um, they would turn up, they were really, really professional. Not like all the bands were professional that we, we worked at or featured on the album, but they had that kind of, you know, um, it was bass, drum, snare, sound checks were really professional, but they had all the moves in between the songs. You know, it was a really polished kind of performance. And um, they and had... Angie, um, and, and the guy, and Angie really dressed as a rock star as well, didn't yeah, she? she yeah. You know... It wasn't just turn up and go. She had her, she had a stage persona, and then Angie behind the scenes, and Steve to some extent as well. They were they were real rock stars when you saw them, even though yes. they were only playing at, you know, at a local pub. But they had a good management because their guy who managed them was uh, worked for EMI, 
So he had all the contacts to get them in. Um, they won a competition, I think, that meant that they featured at the Marquee Club in London. So they were playing all the right venues and we thought they had all the good songs. But I, I mean, as, as you'll know, Jim, and we've, John, we've talked about this before, you know, to the, there's something that a record company A&R guy will sense about a band and who knows what that is. But certainly they had all the ingredients in order to, they, you know, I always say, you know, it starts off by you can write a song, you can play a gig in a pub and you lift the pub. And then as you go to a bigger venue, you know, you, you, good, good bands have the ability to turn it up to expand, you know, and guess that's what they look for. But um, they were a they were a they were a really uh, fabulous band, and their songs called "One Heart" on the album. Seeing red, then, and we remember that well. And now we're getting the images because, you know, a lot of the time I was DJing and supporting bands like this in various places because it was a quite a great little. Um, circuit, if you like, of, of uh, places to play back in the early 90s. And just touching on your point, um, Jim, with the, the imaging, have you managed to track any of the photos of the bands? Because, you know, if you did get to actually to speak to any of the um, people on the compilation, they might have had images that you could use, not I'm talking in, but for press purposes or for, you know, virtual imaging well that's the funny thing and it is a reflection on how our world has changed because ian and i worked with smithfield entertainment probably for over four years ian i would think in total there is one photograph of a young jim russell and a young ian harrower a grainy photograph walking into my dad's house and that is the only bit of memorabilia that we have apart from some photocopies of some old letters and some old gig posters. Now, we reflect on today that if every time you go to a gig, you'll maybe take 30, 40 different photographs on your phone. And it's that has been the real challenge for us, is we don't have a lot of that memorabilia. And funnily enough, neither do the bands, because it just wasn't a thing. People didn't go with big, fancy cameras to these gigs. Um, so, yeah, we've had to kind of beg, borrow and steal and, you know, Mr. Google's helped us out somewhat. Uh, but I have to say, nothing in terms of uh, what you would call quality uh, materials by today's standards. There's a few of the bands on Bandcamp, if you go to Bandcamp, there's a few bands managed to figure, um, dig up a photo shoot they did. So there's, you know, there's some, so we've managed to get as much as, I think um, we've got, all the bands have got a photograph up there, which is a representation. And of course, some of them actually did a video, an early video that was often a couple of pals that were doing video uh, course at Heriot Watt or something. So Tom's New Shoes, for example, they've got, uh, we were able to post on social networking, Facebook the other day, um, their video. And it's, uh, it's very much of the time where, guitarist appearing in a box and then, you know, shimmering across the, the screen and various things. But, 
But as Jim said, it's so different now when everyone just walks around with a phone and captures, you know, everything, absolutely everything. There's um, been quite a we, shift. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think there's, there's probably children in 20, 30 years' time um, who will get revenge on their parents for all those every second of their lives being, uh, you know, catalogued by photographs. So now when they're in a nursing home, and they're eating baby food in the corner, they'll be getting photographs. Yeah. This is revenge. Remember these, yeah. Yeah, no, it's very true. And even taking the decades before that, you know, I, I always tried to take photographs at gigs, and it wasn't easy because the lighting, you know, you can't use a flash. In those days, you had a cube which flashed, and that was it. You'd throw it away, you know, and, and setting these up, you had to still be only 10 feet away from them. So when could you do that? Uh, and speaking to some guys who run shows at the YM in Kirkcaldy, and you say, well, what, you had Robert Plant there? And you had Jethro Tull? I mean, have you got photos? No, nobody ever took photos. And, you know, that's gone all the way through. Absolutely. And if, and if it came to video, the actual equipment was the size of, like, a Eastern European, like a Soviet missile and a battery pack. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you could almost do yourself an injury, you know, so none of that was easy at all. It's just uh, kids nowadays, they have it so easy. So the, the Sound Cafe Studios was the, the venue for um, getting the bands. Did it take quite a bit and time? Because obviously you've, you've got, everybody was recorded in the same studios and, and I assume it wasn't the same day or the same period. But I mean, was this a long-term project back in the day, back in the early 90s? to get the, what was proposed to be an album? Not really. Um, Dave Gray, who Ian mentioned previously, who's the kind of owner and manager and sound guy at Sound Cafe, um, you know, was also a great kind of friend. We've done a lot of business with him in the past, put a lot of hands his way. And when we kind of pitched the idea to him, basically we just had to provide a list of bands and a telephone number, and he really coordinated all of the logistics of it. And again, correct me if I'm wrong here, Ian, but we didn't really have like any kind of artistic influence or production influence over the bands chose the song that they want. Dave organized for them to, to go in. You know, they worked on the, the, the production between the two of them. And then our involvement was we used to get updates on probably on tape, if I remember rightly, on old, you know, cassette tape at that time. Uh, as they as they went through this this process. It's, it's probably testament to the professionalism of the bands that I spoke about. Because these guys were gigging a lot. They were all over the country, you know, from Dumfries to Drumna Rocket, as we say, you know, three or four times a week. So they were slick. They were really, really slick. So plugging in to turn up on the day for a studio, I think they got a day to record and then a, a half a day to mix it. Uh, and Dave at the studio was really slick at doing really quality demos. So we had a kind of system and um, you know, as Jim said, it, 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 that was probably of all the things that we did, um, launching, you know, recording and then preparing for the all-day festival that was going to launch it. That was the easiest bit. Oh, gee. And did you do several songs in the sessions then? And this is the best of compilation? No, they were allowed one song. And again, we left that to them to decide um, what their best. So, I mean, the, the pitch to the bands was, you know, we're going to put this compilation album out. 
and we're going to use all our talents as kind of promotional men um, uh, to, you know, to fire it out and, and try and create as much um, uh, excitement around the whole thing as we can. So your job is to put your best face on in, in, in terms of, you know, the song, the music and everything else. And we'll do everything we can to, to you know, to, to see if we can help somebody take the next step. John, I'd like to make a point there as well, because both Ian and I listened to this album 30 years later. We hadn't, you know, it wasn't like it, we listened to it. It was at the time when I was 19 or something, and then I listened to it when I was 50. And what's a great thing when you ask there about, did we have any influence on it, is no. And because of that, we have such a wide selection of music on the album. You've got, like, seeing Red that we talked about, that's kind of traditional kind of, glammy kind of rock stuff uh, you've got Roy G. Bibb who was really cutting edge at that time with influences from like the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Living Colour and all this thing and then you've got Pure Blind Panic which is kind of like Irish folk and you listen to the album all nine tracks and there's a synergy there but they're all so different and I think it's a very interesting journey as you go through those different and it's a snapshot to the things that people were listening to and then, of course, there's a lot about bands like uh, Some Device and Blue on Shock, who are much more kind of poppy and, I guess, you know, 80s in their 80s uh, pop music, you know? Well, the dance but, thing had happened, the Manchester thing had happened. So that was, you know, and, and people were going out, you know, for a night to dance, you know, they wanted to dance, um, not just to um, DJs, which obviously was happening as well, but to bands you know and stuff like that so so um so there's a few bands that have that kind of vibe on on the album that that were catching that catching that thing as well, well it's so. very eclectic i mean you know that there's there's touches of still post-punk in there there's still americana there you know there's ambient music it's it's quite a compilation and a snapshot of the day and you know it's 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 a moment in time it's like unearthing one of these time capsules because that was 1991. It's it's not been remixed, remastered, or whatever, and uh, it's it's quite a story. And you must have been relieved that when you got in touch with Dave Gray back at the, the studio, that you know he did have a search and he still had it. It was amazing after all these years. Flabbergasted, to be yeah. truthful, is the the term because our discussions, John, were. No, I don't have it. I think my dad had some before uh, a copy before I left home, and we basically gave up. And he said, oh, "I wonder if Dave Gray's got it." And we were literally—I think "flabbergasted" is the only word to describe our reaction when Dave came back with that. I, I secretly hoped that Jim Russell had kind of misplaced it in a box or something because I get prodding him over the years. Going, "Are you sure? You sure it's not like in a drawer? You checked, you know?" But of course. Jim had moved house, you know, a few times over the period and everything else, you know. So I've grown up. So, I don't know, <laughs> yeah, taking yeah. lots of things to the tip, you know. But anyway, it was two weeks. I remember just before Christmas, messaging Dave, tracking him down on LinkedIn, and then messaging him, and then I got an answer right away. He went, "Yeah, okay, I might well do. I have. I kept most, a bit like yourself, John. He kept everything." Um, although he had recently, um, he informed me, um, got rid of stuff on tape 
uh, on actual um, physical tape, but our master was on an early dart, so he thought that he might well have in a shoebox somewhere. And then the first week uh, in January, he, he kind of came back and went, here it is. We were, we were, and I just have to say, and this anyone that listens to the album, which hopefully is a lot of people, we were just blown away how great it sounded. We could honestly couldn't believe when we first put it on. We thought, oh my God. And not, not just, <clears throat> you know, the quality of the songs, quality of musicianship, but just the general production. It sounds like it was done a week ago. You know, well, I agree with that. I mean, listening to it, and I thought, how digital is that? Now, okay, it was preserved on uh, digital audio tape, that, uh, and I still have a few of these as well, but mine are so boring. It's interviews I did with people, sometimes footballers and whatever, and um, I don't have a DAP player to even play them on, <laughs> so they remain <laughs> in my shoebox somewhere. Um, let's have Ian, first of all, a track that was outstanding for you and we'll play it and um just just your thoughts on one of the songs that's on the brand new compilation uh, the lost copy sessions sure i'm gonna go then with um some devices truck i believe in you um and the reason for that is that prior to um the launch uh, to our we did a festival an all-day gig to launch it the adam smith theater which was a sellout at the time. It was it was great, but um, we Jim and I were asked to go on the Jay Crawford show uh, um, the Sunday before with Bruce Finlay, who used to manage Simple Minds. Um, and interestingly, that was their favourite track, "Some Device." Um, so we tracked down Some Device's guitarist, who now lives in America, uh, and he, he gave us permission to to use this. So. Um, it's a bit different. It's that dancey kind of vibe, but I love the guy's vocal, uh, which is incredible. So there you go. I, and I very melodic. Yeah. And when you managed to track him down, um, had they moved on? Had he? Is he still a musician, or was that all in his? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I think I think they are. And they, they, he was. Some some bands are better than others in terms of looking after their legacy, like the Blue and Shot guys have been good in terms of um, of uh, posting stuff up, uh, but other bands are kind of really rare. Pure Bang Panic, the Vincent from them, he lives in Barcelona now, you know, so um, the, it was a bit of a global journey tracking, um, tracking um, people down, but there was information available, um, so even when it comes to 30 years ago remembering can you tell us who was in the band that was a long well we'll have to get back to you <laughs> yeah. there may have been two or three drummers there might have been three three or potential bass players happy to report a lot of them are still uh, working as musicians if not professionally certainly um part-time and it's and, and are as passionate as they ever were
take another point of view Cause it's only stormy weather And I
Well, we've just heard I Believe in You from Some Device, the choice of Ian Harrower, our guest today, along with Jim Russell, the brand new compilation album about to be released um, from Sound Cafe Studios is The Lost Cafe Sessions. I love the cover, guys. I love that. Just the coffee stains, just pictures that rather than favour one of the bands, it just sums it up. I mean, that must be inspirational and back to your marketing days. Because there was a number of options and Aye. Jim was passionate about that one. Well, again, no, right. throughout, this, throughout this project, Ian and I have just marvelled at how successful we would have been if we had the tools today that we have back then. So this was like a freelance um, graphic designer. Uh, Ian kind of contacted them and said, here's the, here's the brief, and they came up with a number of different designs. Um, he lives in Peru. Yeah, in Peru, on you know, on one yeah. of these online services. And I don't know, 50 quid or something to get it done, whatever. But um, yes, there was a whole load of different uh, designs and a lot of them around coffee. And Ian, had, he said, which one do you like, Jim? I said, I like the one with the, the, the coffee stain on it. And turned out Ian had chosen a different one. I said, no, I didn't like that. And the reason I liked that one is obviously the Lost Cafe Sessions is a, rel is, is a reference to the Sound Cafe and the, you know, the fact we lost them for 30 years. And what I liked about that coffee stain is it's something that wasn't necessarily perfect, an event that happened in the past. So someone had had some coffee, they put it down, it leaked a little bit, you know, and it was just, I thought, it, you know, it was something that happened before and I just thought it just summed up what we were, what we were trying to do. And uh, eventually after not too much arguing, we agreed that was the, that was going to be our... Well, I'd love our, to see it now in a 12-inch vinyl record up at Assai Records and whatever, you know, because... You look at it and then you look at it again, you think, what is that? What is that? Oh, I know what it is. The cafe, you know, and that's a coffee stain. It's fantastic stuff. Um, and of course, it's just part of the marketing and events that you did. I mean, what was the highlights of what was Smithfield Entertainment then? Because as you say, it ran three or four years uh, and I supported some of these bands. And the last time we spoke, I even still had some of the cassettes. Now, I only got the cassettes because we supported the band and they were saying, will you plug this on the radio? But they were selling them out and about. But what memories of the entertainment industry do you have when it was a, a business? Um, well, uh, yeah, the, the, the whole project just kind of progressed from one step to another. I mean, my first introduction to it was really my school friends who ranged between 16 and 21 started a band which I couldn't be in because I had absolutely no talent I tried out as a singer and I was dreadful at it so because they didn't want to leave me out um and my dad had a van with his work I think was the main motivation they said you can manage us and get the gigs so that's how I started and then um through that Ian was a singer in a band called Dead Reckoning and then we met up and then so I've said this all the way through this project. There was no kind of grand plan, but we just kind of got, you know, in our small little world, became more and more kind of known and successful. Um, Tenants Live was a really big thing at that point, and that really kick-started the local music scene. And we were lucky enough to get a, an inroads to them. So we were, you know, we were we were probably their, their go-to place in Fife. So that allowed us to access to a bit more funding put on bigger gigs and things like that and of course the highlight of our of our days of smithfield entertainments <clears throat> was actually the the fest the festival that uh, ian had mentioned previously 
at the Adam Smith Center, which was really a launch pad for the album, which was supposed to be released at the same time, but as we've discussed, never was. It never happened. Yeah, well, uh, we'll come to Ian's um, history in a wee while because we met up on several occasions. But Jim, I remember seeing you, was it the big Stushy? Yeah, that was uh, that was not too long ago. Well, uh, the, the years passed quickly, but that was, uh, yeah, a lot of fun. A lot of fun organising that. Um, unfortunately, a bad time in terms of, you know, in terms of what was happening with the economy at that time. Um, but it was a great event. Again, that was a charity event for Help the Heroes and, and SAPA. Um, and we managed to get James and Ocean Coliseum, the Dam, the Jam, the Boomtown, that. Um, but yeah, that was it was a good project. Unfortunately, it didn't have legs just because of the, 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 the climate. But um, that was... It's in the can and there it was and I remember it well coming up and seeing it and being in the VIP room and got a great view and uh, you know it was, it was great in its day and just you know giving some audience would have been phenomenal you know you had a fun fair and all sorts of stuff you know. But, yeah. Good venue I mean you know in the middle of nowhere in yeah. Gifford time. It was the a, best gigs are I mean I remember I, going to see um, Van Morrison and Marillion and Rick Wakeman and uh, Craigton Park, you know, I mean, these things just never happen now, you know, I mean, you've got to go to the Hollywood Bowl with things to see this, but mm -hmm. Ian, you, you, you were involved in so many things, I mean, I remember, apart from Smithfield Entertainment, there was um, headline events as well, I mean, there was, there was quite a few things that you were up to in your day, what, what uh, are the highlights? Uh, very lucky, I, I, I think probably Smithfield Entertainment was a training ground, really. So all the things I learned there, putting on gigs and, uh, you know, both uh, from the marketing side and the promotion and the technical side, I managed, I fortunately managed to kind of stay in that uh, business. I just thought events and festivals was, uh, that, that sounds like really cool. Um, so yeah, I've, I've spent most of my life working and uh, earning a living from that, uh, in, in that sense. And, you know, Headline Events was a was a company that I ran with um, my wife Lorna, and then that was acquired by Indigo Bridge, a bigger sort of marketing company in in Kirkcaldy. Uh, uh, and you know, but through to then working on the Big Tent Festival, uh, Scotland's History Festival, Gardening Scotland. Goodness, you know, I've I've, I've done lots of. Uh, of different things. The last time we worked on was St Andrew's Day up at St Andrew's. So Remember? it was. Yeah, with Stony Monroe. Yeah, indeed. We blocked all the streets from the traffic and built a stage and uh, had a fantastic yeah. day, didn't we? It was magnificent. Speaking of images, I have a great image from the back of the stage to see that whole audience, uh, which I have. And I didn't realise that the guys that were doing the techie, um, Cameron and uh, Andrew, uh, came to join us at the Fringe and they were doing our tech for the Fringe and I didn't realise we were just talking and you know as you do at KFC after the gigs and kinds of things and they said oh no we, we were there and we'd, we'd mixed your sound I said oh I was doing the announcements and things and then what became um, you know Carlene Gilmer's band The Eves they were supporting and they were doing That's everything right. you know yeah. and uh, 
new single, new album, getting featured on telly and whatever. So it was it was a great time, and um, thanks for the invite. It was good. It was really enjoyed it that that day. Uh, we I did mean, Dundee, remember Discovery Day, and we did Christmas in the Caird Hall Square and everything. It was like, no, do you remember John? Remember all those Santas? I came up yes. with the idea to have to have the commandos coming yes. down the building to deliver the Christmas spirit. That was and then, great, and the town and then, and, and yeah. Came up with the idea of having the different Santas at different locations. You were building up with the spotlights on the buildings. Yeah, yeah. And then the blinking Johnny from the council had locked all the buildings. Santa couldn't get through. We got we got a fine to to replace no, a door. I, I remember that well because there was literally no budget. You know, and 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 I uh, persuaded Bruce Davis to come along and do some Christmas songs. Then we got some school choirs, and then we had, um, I think the the provost would would actually switch the lights on, so that didn't cost any. We had Ronald McDonald running about the crowd. You know, I mean, Aye. sick kids that came down on a sleigh. Remember, were reindeer. Yeah. It was oh, like it it turned was... into this like fantastic production. The commandos. I mean, it, was, it was amazing. So what takes up most of your time now, Ian? I mean, as, as we've had lockdown, we've had COVID. We've, we've, we've well, that's in interestingly, Jim, Jim and I, um, who have come from nearly starting a record label 30 years ago and organising gigs and, you know, ocean colour scene and all these different things and uh, obviously Big Ted Festival and everything else to running at Airbnb. So now we talk about uh, the thread counts and duvies and pillows and yeah I'm still involved in in events and festivals it's been absolutely uh, you know nothing happening at all um, this year but I'm involved in a project um, which may well happen next year which is a new festival uh, for the How of Fife called uh, this is an exclusive John Heeds okay. and Hertz Festival so um, we'll, it's called what? We'll, uh, Heeds and Hertz Festival Okay. So um, that's something that I've been working on um, over the last uh, six, seven months, um, which is which may happen in 2021 because uh, we'll see how and where we are. Uh, um, yeah, so I've got, there's a few other things that are kind of bubbling away, but everyone is very uh, um, anxious, of course, about as we move in to the new year, we've no idea where we're going to be, so. That's it's not a good true. time for musicians or, or events. And no, well, that's very true. I mean, who knows where we're going to be. Um, but you're still doing promotions and PR, and that's good to know. And, and uh, we'll, we'll certainly help spread the word of that um, and, and look forward to any announcements that comes around. Jim, looking back on all these sessions and bands that you did put on, uh, I'm going to tap you now and say choose a song from the album so that we can play out on, um, you know, one that was a particular story or a favourite of yours? Oh, John, you've put me on a spot here. The, the, I'm going to have to choose one, but I'm going to give you... I'll tell you what, what, what my choice was between was um, the, the Roy Bibb track, and the reason that was important to me was because that was really my first little kind of project. And I think it stands out as very, very unique. But I'm not going to choose that. I'm going to choose my personal favourite song, which was by Silent Falls. I think the reason I've chosen it is, I, to me, it just stands out as the one that's probably the most relevant today. I think if you got those guys into a, a, a studio with a, 
you know, a decent producer, you, they would have a they would have a, a top hit on their hands. And I just love the guy's voice as well. Lovely people as well. Kakori band, of course. And did you catch up with them in recent times just to say, look, we've got this yeah, compilation coming up? We certainly did. And um, the Dave is the singer who we, uh, you know, again, great voice. He's still active and still playing as number one son, I believe. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I've never seen that, those guys live. But no, it was great. It was great catching up with them because it probably has been 30 years since I spoke to, to Dave. Some of the other... Some of the other guys were, um, uh, you know, you, we could have bumped into at one, one point. But for a lot of these people, this is the first time we spoke to them, you know, and it's, uh, you know, from being young men to grey-haired old middle-aged men. <laughs> but the music is still pristine and, and it's good to have that snapshot. So uh, your choice, Jim, here's Silent Falls.
then it was a track from the brand new compilation you'll find that it's called the lost coffee sessions so it's available on all the platforms uh, and on bandcamp itunes and, and you can just search for lost coffee sessions and you will pick it up from there and it's all recorded 1991 at the sound studios uh, which raises the question is the studio still there or are they long gone john the studio is still there but dave is retired and he now um but he does some producing work so um a couple of names that you'll know Mary campbell the folk singer and um, so they did the big i don't know if you caught the big giant that was going around all the country um well Mar- Mary did this music for that and dave produced all that um and he he, so he still dabbles, but the studio is still there. But so it's more um, run as a, a place now where producers take their projects into, and uh, he's happy to to let them uh, do the equipment. So it's not a commercial studio as such any yeah. any longer. Oh, there's a lot of post production. Hung up his done. earphones. Yeah. <laughs> They do all this mastering stuff, whatever they do, or compress it and whatever, because you can make an album on your laptop these days and a, a wee mixer and a looper pedal. Well, that, that's it. We we used to we talked about that in the podcast. Um, you know that it used to be a desk, and now you mix things by a mouse. You know, but um, Dave in his old studio, this was in the basement of his house um, in in Pennycook, and the control room was the old coke cellar and it still had this central heating boiler in the control room uh so depending on the time of the year that might just kick in in the middle of but also his his dad had a key you know for the upstairs and he would often let himself in and then wander down and go hello hello boy and then they go right take five <laughs> Oh, marvellous stuff. It was all, it was quite basic, but that just really goes to show when you listen to the quality of the recording, just what a great job Dave and and each of the guys in the bands did, you know. Definitely. um, I think think Jim and I both agreed that I wish we'd, I wish we'd appreciated the talent we were surrounded by more 30 years ago, because you were always worried, you were always concerned and, 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 involved in the logistics of putting on a band you, you probably find that as well john in your projects but you know Very you're true. just I, you're just so involved in every moment much in it and then you you're looking to the next one to, yeah you never I got know. a chance to step back and appreciate you know i can yeah. remember when the proclaimers came to big 10 you know and it was a fantastic night and i remember imagining it months before about how it would all look and then there it was the sun was coming down, beating, you know, twinkling across the twilight. The place was packed. I just thought, I'll take 20 minutes and I'll just hear the first bit of their set and enjoy something that was in my head and imagined, you know, a year before to then get in my ear the call that a little kid had gone missing. <laughs> so I never saw any of the blinking proclaimers or anything. And uh, so now when we listen to the album, we just think, wow. You know that they were really, really good, and um, we just, you know, it's we can now appreciate it because we're thirty years older. Yeah, no, I, I get that. 
I've also got a comment on that as well, because um, it's like life in general, you know, you, it's full of kind of peaks and troughs and you never know when you're in a peak until you're no longer and you never know when you're in a trough until you start coming out the other side. And I, I relate that to music because today, for all the, the, the change in the music industry, you look back at those times, the 80s and the 90s, you know, you had these bands that are just Rage Against the Machine, Metallica, my own kind of personal music choice, uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. It was just a time that Pearl Jam had just come out, you know, and there was just that time that, that but you never thought it would end. You thought this is what music is. It's always, there's always going to be albums that you're going to buy. And then all of a sudden you go into a new era and you're like, there hasn't been anything good come out in the last three or four years. And it's that thing about you never know when you're in a trough in a peak until you, you start coming down. And I think we were very lucky in that sense. We caught that moment in time where we'd come out of the 80s and Ian touched on the kind of, you know, the, the kind of pop and dance type influences. We've had the, the kind of glam rock era, which we've had some influences. And then, of course, we had the, the stuff at that time, which was very modern in terms of the Roy G. Biff stuff, which was kind of fusion of funk and rock and metal all together. And we just thought, we were surrounded by these fantastic musicians and we kind of took it for granted. We just didn't realize that we were just absolutely at a peak, you know, and, yeah. and actually music and live music, very sadly was, you know, was going to start to decline. And as I believe, has continued to do so. Yeah. Um, a, grassroots, a grassroots level, certainly, yeah. Sure. Yeah, well, and that's exactly it. You don't know as Tony Mitchell says, you don't know what you've got till it's gone, you know, sure. and, and you know, here you, you're presenting these guys on stage and I was, you know, part of it to a small degree. Uh, tell me about some of the venues you use, because our listeners might say, now where did I see or hear that band? Because there was quite a number you used. Now, I know them, but coming from you, it's saying good. Where were the shows about? Well, uh, we had, we, we, we worked with a lot of the, the, the established venues. So uh, we talked earlier about the Boar's Head. Uh, that was just coming towards the end of its life as a music venue, I think, when we had Smithfield. But we certainly put on some gigs in there. Um, there was the Hunting Lodge in Leven that built up a good reputation for itself. The Ship uh, in Newborough. Um, but we found that, I'm not saying that we were outgrowing those, those places, but we wanted to establish some new... Um, things and that's when we approached Crystal's Arena, which is actually an ice skating rink in Glenrothes. And they, you know, had a very nice function room up there, held about 300 400 people, if I remember rightly. But they didn't have any live music, so we kind of brought live music to Crystal's Arena again with help from Tenants Live. And then, as Ian mentioned previously, our, our big finale was at the Adam Smith Theatre, which Again, I'm not saying that, you know, they had live music, but not in that kind of showcase that we had an all day kind of 10 bands, one after the other. So, yeah, well, who else? There was, there was a clubhouse two, in Kikori. Was yeah, another. There was two sides to our business because we did um, PA hire and, and uh, light, not so much lighting, but we did PA hire. So that sometimes we'd be working with bands doing their sound and that would take us to the, take us to venues but the other side was promoters uh, as promoters of music and, and interesting a lot of bands kind of 
fell in, um, followed the same, uh, or we were following the same as a lot of bands, discovered a really good thing to do, particularly when you went to Edinburgh and Glasgow, rather than going to the established venue, if you could rent the venue yourself and then find another couple of bands to put on that all brought an audience and then you, you shared the door money and paid the guy that owned the venue, then that was often more financially beneficial than, um, you know, than, than, than getting, um, getting a fee for an established venue, you know. But then, of course, the bands often wanted to play places like uh, King Tut's or whatever, you know, it became a Glasgow. You, you kind of wanted to get on there because it had a reputation of that was a place that A&R guys might hang out of an evening, you know. Um, so they would often play there for very little financial reward. You know, it wasn't about getting the money, whereas by putting on your own gig and own little uh, performances and promoting it and doing it all together. Um, so we kind of stumbled onto that. Uh, and uh, we had some really successful nights up at Crystal's Arena, you know, 350, 400 people. Uh, you know, and we, and we had cash coming in, you know, and that was really, I suppose, the start of going, oh, Maybe we could think about our own record label. Have you had any press coverage, Ian, uh, from the new project? <laughs> yes, I know we we um we got some great stuff in at the weekend um from the Scotsman and um, Five Free Press Group, um, Music News Scotland. Um, we've been doing quite a lot of work on Facebook and Twitter, of course, which is the new. Um, uh, no, the new is, is how you do things now. Um, so, Jim, I mean, we've had how many followers on uh, Facebook now and links? It's still difficult looking at the thing. We've had about 30,000 kind of, you know, page views and things like that. I think there's about four or 500 people following us. But um, in terms of the exposure that we've had, it's been, it's been, uh, it's, it's been quite incredible. And again, just tools that never existed back in the day, you know. I think it's great because I think it, it does do what you said earlier, John. I think it kind of hits a little memory spot in people to go, oh, yeah, I remember I used to go to such and such a venue. Uh, would be a regular thing. Or they followed one of the bands. Um, and they just remember that time in their life. You know, it's, it's uh, I mean, you'll tap into that as a DJ. Uh, once somebody told me, you know, if you're doing a birthday party or whatever, you're not paying when the songs from when they were born. It's the time when they're about 16, 17, 18, 19. And if you hit that rich seam on an evening that people remember, that was the time I went out with my friends and danced or had a great time, then you're on to something. You know, you can fill a floor. And um, I think it's the same with music just does that incredible thing, doesn't it? It just taps in to, uh, to your memories and emotions. Yes. Yeah, and, uh, right, and right is, there, is, there a, is there a dedicated Facebook page for this project then? There is, yeah. And uh, again, if you search the Lost Cafe sessions on Facebook, you'll you'll find us on there. We've been putting up a lot of videos and um, band profiles and pictures and things on there. But something else I would like to mention as well, John, you you touched on earlier um, that the the album's going to be available on the streaming platforms. Um, you can also on Bandcamp, uh, and I would encourage people to do this, they can actually download a high resolution or high quality copy of that and keep it for prosperity. And, but 
they can also make a donation to our charity that we've chosen. Because I should point out that Ian and I, you know, will won't benefit at all financially from this. Every penny raised goes to uh, Siblings Reunited, a uh, charity based in Northeast Fife. Um, and although they'll get the pennies that are generated from these streaming services, people can actually go on to Bandcamp, make a donation, which will go straight to the charity, and they they can download those those files and keep it forever. So. That's um, fantastic to hear. Siblings reunited, a worthy cause, and um, you know we'll do our bit to raise some cash for you guys as well, which is which is great to hear. Um, okay, then uh, it's time to wrap up, and I'm going to choose a song now, uh, and I'm going to choose one from the album from Blue on Shock because I remember them winning Battle of the Bands, and they were the band most likely to. You know, they, they did get on tours and whatever. Um, so I'd now ask you guys, any memories of Blue and Shock? Absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. worthy, very, very worthy choice there. Again, another one that stands out as being, I think, very relevant today, but was certainly a, a hint of 80s and 90s music. So, yeah, in fact, Ian, you were very friendly with the, the guys from Blue and Shock. Yeah, yeah, because um, we were at college, at Fife College, and there was a little room in Fife College. And I reckon that just about everyone, every band in Fife had someone represent. So it was like, it was just like we, it was like, a, um, you know, from there, everything was planned. You know, we could sort of, yeah, we've got, we've, we've got a gig on Saturday night, fancy supporting, you know, you could put three bands or, you know, you put a whole festival together. You're just walking around that little, uh, Smokers' room it was terrible. We were all smoking still at that time, but um, anyway. But Clive, um, Clive McDougall, and um, in fact, I introduced Clive to his wife. Actually, you know, he he, um, he fancied uh, one of the girls that was in doing my course. You know, so I kind of engineered an, in, an introduction for the two, um, uh, and they're still together after all the, after all these years. But anyway, um, Blue and Shock tapped into that Manchester kind of dance thing. So they were kind of, not Happy Mondays or whatever, but they had a kind of, everything had a really, all their songs had that kind of, you know, dance beat. And then they had, they worked so hard on their marketing as well. So that when you put them on as a promoter, my goodness, and there was some really good looking folks that would come along to the, to the gig as well, you know, so so you were on to something and they really, really worked hard, you know, they were doing three or four nights a week they were gigging um, and they pretty much, was, they were quite a big band as well, you know, seven, six, six or yeah. seven of them, but they could just turn up and rock the house, you know, they were fabulous and I think they did actually get signed on the night of the festival that we had by a small uh, record company called Wide Tracks that were a uh, that were an uh, independent label and publishing company run by a guy who'd, who'd made his money in Nashville as a songwriter, professional songwriter, a um, guy called uh, Bob Wilson. So he, he, he was negotiating with us as, as well about releasing this back in the day, lo the Lost Cafe Sessions, through White Tracks. But, uh, you know, we couldn't, for various reasons, we couldn't uh, deal with them. Um, but uh, um, Blue and Shock did actually sign 
and then he wanted them to produce, I understand that he wanted them to produce a dance type 12 inch sort of vinyl type thing to go around all the clubs. Uh, and then the band kind of were half and half, half of them were like, what's this? You know, I want to be playing drums and playing guitars and we're sitting around a computer with a producer. What the heck's all this about? So again, I think they, I think they split up not long after. I want to go back to your point there, John, about you said, you know, Blue and Shot, the band most likely to. What really surprised me when we were doing the interviews for the podcast is so many of the five based bands said, we saw Blue on Shock as our main competition. They were the they were the ones to be, and I, and strange bands that I never thought were kind of thingy. So you'd obviously hit onto something there. They were even at the time they were viewed as the yeah. you know the, the band. Yeah, to they be. were one step ahead. They had the logo. So let's hear the music, Blue and Shock from the brand new album released at last, thirty years on the Lost Copy Sessions. My thanks today to Jim Russell and Ian Harwood. Thanks, John. Thank you.
Ah, there it was, Blue on Shock. Brings back the quality of all that great music from the 90s. Love that. And that's my choice from the album, The Lost Cafe Sessions. That's all from me, John Murray. I'll be back next week at the same time, so hope you can join me then. And uh, our thanks to our guests there, um, Ian Harrower, who was over at Leith Links, and Jim Russell from Ochtermachti, and through the magic of radio brought to you today on K107 FM, your very own. Look after yourself. Catch you next week. Mm-hmm.